welcome to this Sunday morning meeting podcast from Kingdom Faith Yorkshire. Today's message is by Paul Abel. I want to tell you a little story, and it's a really it's a story I've used ages ago. Um, I think the last time I told it, we were meeting at Lamplew, possibly in the library. But uh, God reminded me of it this morning, and I think it fits in with everything that's that's, that's going on and, and is happening here. And it's just a daft little story, but. The ones of you will be trying now whether you can remember it as I get into it. Um, this, uh, this story takes place in, uh, along a, a nice uh, leafy green street. What's the name of the street you live on? Oh, no, you, you might not want to publicise that. Um, randomly choose a... Give me a street name that's nice in Scarborough. Wow, you know your town really well. Albemarle Crescent. Okay, Albemarle Crescent. So this, uh, this uh, elderly chap, mind you, I'm closer to the age I was thinking of when, when I first told this years ago. This elderly chap lives on Albemarle Crescent and um, he, uh, he's very good at remembering to put out his bins. And he's got a lot of them because he's very precise. So he doesn't just sort the, all that recycled into the blue bin. He has different shades of blue. You know, for the different sorts. And he makes sure it all goes through the dishwasher, partially cancelling out the value of recycling. But anyway, he makes sure it's all perfectly sorted. And to his great uh, frustration in his wonderful organisation, when the bins are out, it always seems to coincide with a group of young teenage boys going through Albemarle Crescent. And they like his bins. In fact, they find them very good improvised drums. And so they're banging away on these plastic drums very, very loudly. And uh, the old man gets more and more fed up. But he's a wily character. He knows what boys are like. And so one day, they're out there banging on his drums. He goes out to see them. They sort of slightly start as he approaches. And he just says, that's amazing, boys. Love the noise. I really love the noise you make on my bins. It's awesome. In fact, I like it so much, I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you to play those drums. The boys all look at one another a little bit confused. He said, yep, I'm going to pay you. If you come back next week, I'll give you five pounds each to play my drums. Well, next week, bins are out, boys are there. Bang, 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 bang. Out he goes, says, hello, boys. Um... I'm really pleased you come. You're going to pay us, mister. I am, but it's been a really tough week. So if I just pay you three pounds, is that okay? They look at one and I think, well, yeah, that's okay. Three pounds each. They take their payment. Off they go. Can we come back next week, mister? Of course. Come back next week. They come back next week. They play the drums. He goes out there. He says, hi, boys. How's it going? They say, great. Can we be paid now? He said, yes, of course you can. I've got a problem, though. Price of cigarettes has gone up. It's going to be a pound this week. Oh, oh okay. All right then. Well, thank you anyway. Can we come back next week? Yeah, you can come back next week. Off they all go. He gives them their pound. The following week, this is a long story. Um, the following week, they all come back. They're banging away on the drums. The old man goes out and says, Hi, boys, how's it going? And the boys say, it's going great. Can we be paid now, mister? He said, I'm really sorry. I can't afford to pay you anymore. I've run out of money. 
And the boys say, well, if you think we're going to know it not paid for, we're not ever doing it again. You won't see us lot again. We're not coming back. (laughs) Now, in that little parable, because it is a parable, the old man is the devil. Now, you weren't expecting that if you haven't heard it before, because it's a little bit of a twist. And the boys are Christians. Because we've been chosen, we've been called to make a noise. That's what we're here for. We're here to make a noise so that people can see there is a difference. But the devil's a wily old character. He knows that if he just appears in a red suit with a tail and horns, you know, we're we're pretty smart. We're going to know that's the devil. I've been taught about him. He's red, horns. Yep, that's the one. Get behind me, Satan. I've got to learn that in my Bible. And away he goes. So he sneaks. And uh, the story just represents all those things that we are given to enjoy. Worship can become one of those things that the enemy leads you to start to expect to be paid from. If I get a good feeling from the worship this morning, because sometimes you do. And then you come to think, now I need another good feeling. And now I need another good feeling. Well, if, I'm not, if there's nothing happening, I'm not worshipping until God moves. And we've fallen into the trap of the, of the boys. It's the same spending time journaling, writing what God's saying to you, spending time in prayer, having a quiet time. The rewards from it can be amazing. But every now and then, no matter how wonderfully anointed or spiritual you are, you're going to have phases where it's like... Great, well, I've done that. You know, it can feel like nothing. It just feels like I got no experience of God as I was reading the Bible today. There could be days when it doesn't even seem whether it's true. And if we're not careful, the enemy comes in and says, See, you're not, he doesn't literally use these words, but you know what I mean. See, you're not getting paid for it. And you drop off a bit because you're not getting the benefit. But we're never being paid to be in a relationship with God. It's just a sneaky tactic of the end. You can apply it to anything. You can apply it, as I've just done, to worship. You can apply it to worship when you're at home by yourself. You can apply it to Sunday morning worship. You know, ever been the one, because I have, that's sitting there with the arms crossed waiting for God to do something? As if he was our servant, waiting for him to turn up with a bottle of water so that we get a bit of something so we can begin to worship. Well, when God's here, of course, we don't, we probably wouldn't do it quite so like that because everybody would notice. So, you know, we just look a bit more spiritual. Now everybody's terrified to pray, but you know. (laughs) I mean, you can be, you you can be caught like that in any position, you know, just because someone gets on their face, they could just be, I can't think of anything else to do right now. It's a great place to worship. And if you don't do it, you should try it. Because it's completely surrendering. You're completely vulnerable. Particularly when there's children in the house. That temptation, just to put the fingers in. (laughs) It's all about the heart attitude, isn't it? But you can get fed up of doing these things. Because you didn't get what you expected at that moment. You didn't get paid. You didn't get your three pounds for banging on the dustbin. But of course, the ultimate way 
is just living this life and making a noise in the world. It's that great scripture that God gave us as we started afresh in this town. And it was noised, it says in the King James Version. And it was noised that Jesus was in the house. There was some noise went around that town of Capernaum and the people come to find him. It it was noised that Jesus was in the summit. And it went around Scarborough and people come to find him. They came and found the people of God. They won't necessarily come here. They might be knocking on your front door. So then you have to tell them you live at Windbank. Oh! <laughs> Let's go back to Ephesians. But just keep that little story in mind that it's so easy to let go of all these things we're talking about because you feel like you've, you've got to be rewarded. We don't have to be rewarded. God's, although Jesus came as a servant, it's not really our business just to treat him as one. This is funny, chapter 3 in Ephesians, because it starts off, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration. It doesn't follow. The first verse, if you look at it, does not connect to the second verse. (coughs) And it, it, it shows you how lively this letter is that Paul's writing. Because what happens is he writes this, for this reason, and in what, what reason? The reason that he's just been outlining in the first few chapters, that we are the building, that we are the temple, that the, that the, the body is the fullness of Christ, that we are called, that we are chosen, that we are sat in, in, in heavenly places. So Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, and then he changes completely, because something else has just occurred to him. He's like that preacher that just completely changes subject all the time. But here he's doing it in the Bible. If you look to verse 14, you'll see where he gets back to what he was going to do, which was pray for the Ephesians. But he comes out, he suddenly gets interrupted with this thought. And let's just take a few things today. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is here. So be an expectation right now that, even if it's happened already, and I hope it has, that the Holy Spirit just highlights something for you to take away. Because that's the whole purpose. There's no entertainment. It's about hearing from God. And one of God's ways that he's chosen is to have somebody preach to others. That's one of the things he's called me to do. There are many other ways. We read the Bible together. We study the Bible together. We study the Bible on our own. So let's have a look. So Paul, in my NIV, it just gives a little dash to show that this is going to change completely the topic now. It doesn't follow. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. I mean, this is Paul's great theme in Ephesians, the mystery. And he's just told them about it, and he's just thought, I need to tell them about it again, because they might not have taken it on board. I need to really hone this home. And he says, surely you've heard about the administration. The word administration there is oikonomi. Do you remember the word for the building of the temple was uh, oikonemos, I think it is. I haven't got it in front of me. But the same same word, oikos, is at the beginning, the house. And the oikonomi, the administrator, as he calls it, is translated there rather, is the house manager. And Paul describes himself as the house manager, the chief of the servants, 
helping the, helping the house to function, which I just think is interesting, because he is actually, sometimes people think that Paul, as he does here a little bit later, he kind of minimizes who he is, but he also absolutely knows who he is. I'm the house manager. I'm here to show people what to do, to give them instructions. He knows his role. And it's important we discover our role. And one role is not higher than another role. There's no hierarchy. The only hierarchy is God. Then there's us. We all have different roles. We all have different things to perform. We all have different things to do. And for some of us, that is leadership. And leaders are worthy of double honour. And we should honour our leaders. But they're not superior to us. We honour them because leadership is known to be a tiring, arduous work, the Bible says. So we should honour them so that it makes it a bit easier. (laughs) Very practical, the Bible. So... Paul is reminding them that I'm here to show you how to put God's grace into practice. I'm an administrator of God's grace. He doesn't literally give out grace. He just enables people to (coughs) understand it and, and, and live it. And so he says, let me tell you about the mystery of Christ. And then you get this amazing thing. We looked into it a bit on Thursday, so I'm not going to say very much about it now. But um, in reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So, one thing I did Thursday night was we, I sort of grabbed that bit. That's my Old Testament. And then there's a concordance at the back of this version. So, that's roughly my New Testament. But, of course, you've got to take out the Gospels, because it wasn't fully revealed in the Gospels. It, it, it was there, but it wasn't fully revealed. So then you take out the Gospels, and you end up with a bit like that. When the mystery has been revealed. All of that is God's people, no mystery revealed. All of that is after it was revealed. And you begin to get the sense of what a privileged time we live in. We understand and we know already what the mystery of Christ is. If you're not sure, because you haven't been in on um, any of that, let me just... uh, Revise what the mystery is for you. We'll do what Paul's done. He writes it out again. He says, The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. He's reminding them that everything he's taught is that the Gentiles and the Jews are equal. Obviously, at other times, he says there's no male, there's no female, there's no slave, there's no free man. He he says, we are all one. We are all one before God. There is no superior Deborah Hick. She is one before God with me. She's not superior. Nigel's not superior. He may be able to play bass guitar in a way that I would really like to be able to play bass guitar, but... He's not superior. Sorry to let you down there. Maybe he is because of the drum. No, no, we won't go to the drums. No, but you know what I mean. We all have these different roles, and that's just a minor part of of his role that God has called him to that releases the presence of God, which is why I'm mentioning it. Last week we saw that 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 what Paul describes is that the wall of hostility has been broken down and the Jews and the Gentiles have been brought together. He's using the Jews and the Gentiles because obviously the first revelation was to the Jewish people. And the idea that the, the Jews and the Gentiles would be completely united together 
would have been a shock to everybody because they had not been together at all. It shouldn't have been a complete shock because a little bit of it's been given. It's given in the Old Testament that the Jewish people are a light to the nations, that they are an example of what is to come. So it's not a complete shock. But the shock would have been that they're not just, an exa- they're not just a light, they're not like a superior chosen people, but in Christ we are altogether chosen. And which is why God has a special heart, even for the Jewish people today. His promises are irrevocable. He can't take away the Old Testament prophecies, uh, promises. They're still in place. Which is why, you know, there's a special heart, if you like, in God to see the Jewish people walking together with those who are in Christ. But of course, he's God. He wants all people everywhere. For God so loved the world. The Father so loved the world that he gave his Son... Who should ever believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So this everlasting life is together. I think everlasting life is interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's so unimaginable in many respects, don't you find? Um, it was, it was Reuben's two, Reuben was two yesterday. So he's a full-blown toddler. Uh, and he's into everything. I don't know how well experienced you are with toddlers. Most of us have experience with toddlers at some point. But the interesting thing about toddlers is they do not realise their limits. It's particularly, in his case, if his older sisters are doing something, he's going to do it. It doesn't matter that it might involve numerous skills that he has no knowledge of. Reading, writing, walking steadily. (laughs) He's pretty good at that now. Playing games, rolling dice, he's going to do it. He's going to be there. And if he doesn't get to be part of it, or he senses that they're getting something more, like they're more privileged in some way, he doesn't like that. He can get very upset. He's pretty happy chappy, so he's not that bad. But we've all experienced toddlers that just scream when they don't get what they want, because they want it now. And it's, the, it's, the whole, it's their whole meaning of life. You know, that, 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 uh, that chocolate bar at the, the checkout, as it used to be, it becomes the answer to the meaning of life. If they can have that chocolate bar, all needs, everything will be satisfied for me in all my three years of life. That is the answer. That is the number 42. That is the answer to everything. And they don't get it, and they let everybody know that they've been denied this special privilege. Because... A two-year-old or a three-year-old cannot imagine a lifetime that is yet to be lived. They just can't. They can see it sort of. They, can, they, they know that there's adults and they know that there's older brothers and sisters. And they, they start to pick up that they're going to have birthdays. And that means they're getting older. But they don't really understand that there is so much ahead of them that if they ruin their lives on just being given everything that they want immediately right now, it's actually going to ruin the rest of their lives. If they get sweets particularly, it's going to ruin their health. They're going to waddle around when they're four-year-old if they get lots and lots of sweets. But they can't see that. All to them is, I like that, it's sweet, I want it, I want it now. And you mean a nasty and horrible I don't know if they really think like this, but uh, you're mean and nasty in hospital because you won't let me have it. You don't even love me because you won't let me have it. If you love me, I would be able to have that. That's what's going on. Because they cannot comprehend what it is to be 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. But their parents or the adults around them can. 
So they deny them things, even though those things look amazing. And they know better. Have you ever met a toddler that said, yes, mummy, you do know better, that's okay. (laughs) Does such a creature exist? Does such a child exist, really? Anyway, isn't that a picture of eternity in us now? There are things which, I want that, I need that now. I mean, they're much more complex than chocolate bars. There are unanswered prayers. There are puzzles. There are things that have gone on. And God reveals things and sometimes he says, you haven't received this answer because. And God clearly told us of the five things that the enemy was stealing from to take hold of. But actually, it gets very, very complex. And sometimes God just knows the pattern of eternity and said, it's not for you now. I love you. You can't have it right now. But I want it right now. I'm 56. Well, 55. 56 next week. I'm 55 years old. I know what I want. And I've read the Bible and it says I should have this. And actually, we're just being toddlers. I'm not saying don't stand in faith and pray for stuff. It's more about attitude and how we deal with it afterwards. It's more about do we trust God to be a parent? Because we trust ourselves often to be a parent or to look after children. We know we're being wise when we say, no, you can't play with that motorbike. (laughs) You can, because you're old enough. (laughs) I just happened to be standing in front of you. Ron Ron has a nice motorbike. But you wouldn't say to a 10-year-old, yeah, that's fine, go, go down the motorway. Don't go over 70, because that's naughty, but you can go down the motorway. Absolutely fine. You know that, that there's some boundaries need to be set in place, and the boundary is going to be you're not getting on a 750cc Kawasaki and bombing down the motorway. That's a fairly good boundary. If you've never thought of that one, it's a freebie. But God is very similar and you see that at the, end of this, at the end of this article. So just hang that there and we'll come back to it if we get time. We haven't got much time left. I just want to say there that the mystery, though, is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are... And Paul, in the Greek, it comes out even more emphatic. But you've got it here. It's quite good in the NIV. The Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. There's so much that has leaked into the church from uh, the culture of the world, that it's, it's about the individual person and only about a personal relationship with Jesus. Of course you've got to know Jesus personally, but there's no such thing as a person that knows Jesus personally and is not part of the body. And if you're not part of the body, you won't see the fullness of what God is talking about because the fullness of God is in the body, which is what Paul outlined in Ephesians. And, that's, and, and, and that keeps coming back and back and back again. And it's because only a body, only the body of Christ can fully operate in that ministry of reconciliation. Yes, people are reconciled one-to-one, but you really need to be reconciled and be at peace with a community of people. It takes more than one person to pick somebody up, usually. You need a whole group. You need a whole family of people. And it's not about being best buddies with everybody. That's impossible. You can't, you, won't, you can't know everybody who's here now. There's too many. And you will have some that you know really well, but there's still that sense of we're family together. 
And if you hear the family is, someone in your family is in trouble, you want to help them out, don't you? Even if you don't know them that well. But it's all this together, 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 together. And Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel. So there's an interesting question, isn't there, immediately? What, what are you serving in right now? Because being a Christian is being a servant. It's great to be the son and all the inheritance, but we're also servants of God. What are you serving in? What are you doing to serve God? I'm not talking about doing everything in your own strength. Of course you've got to do it through God's grace. But what are you serving in? Um, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. And here's Paul, as he often talks, although I am the least of all people. The word he uses for servant is diaconus, which is where we get deacons. But deacons, or in a King James Version, if you read the Bible there, it will say minister. And you can see how much we've corrupted the original message because in Greek at that time, the word meant a waiter that serves you at a table in a restaurant. I mean, it's somebody that's supposed to be, anyway, on call for your every need while you're eating. Kind of like you've got a picture of the king and his servants there. I want this, I want this, I want this, I need this. And the, the table servant, the table waiter, is there to give you and meet all your needs. You want some water? Yes, there you go, sir. And somehow, because we've used the word deacon and minister, we've set them up here somewhere. Even Episcopus, if that's the right way of pronouncing it, which is the word we use for bishop. It's just another of those words. It's not supposed to be status. But it is a special role. And it can be a calling. So, we're called to be servants. Although I am the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which was for ages past, was kept hidden in God. Is that what we're communicating? That mystery. We can be reconciled to one another and to God. There is reconciliation possible in this world between Jew and Arab, between Russian and American, between every nationality, between every ethnicity, between every sexuality, between every gender. Reconciliation is possible in Christ. It's an amazing message. One to another and to God. But it's both. If you are just reconciled to God and you hate everybody around you, you're not reconciled to God. Because the everybody around you will be the reflection of what your relationship is really with him. Which is a bit tough at times, isn't it? Let's, so he talks about uh, make plain to everybody the mystery which was kept uh, hidden in God. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Have you ever thought of that role of the church? And notice it's the church together. It's like he's using the church here as like one person can sing beautifully. And they can make them, or they can, and it can be incredible, can't it? But the power of a choir is something else. One person can play football, but to win the game, you've got to have a team 
And you've got to have a team that knows one another, works together, and does it well. And Paul is saying, in his wisdom, God wants this to be known to the rulers and authorities of this world. So it's interesting, we're not just making known this mystery to everybody else, to everybody in this world. We're making it known. We're putting it in the face of the rulers and authorities of this world. This is the same book where later he's telling you to put on your armour to defeat the enemy. This is his introduction here. He's saying, this is what we're doing when we put on the armour. We are telling the enemy, this is what it is. This is what the truth is. This is what it's going to be like. You may be coming against me and saying, I'm fearful or anxious or what was done to me means I'm trapped in this. I'm telling you, that is wrong because I am set free by the blood of Christ. That's what we were doing at the beginning when we're talking about uh, breaking off chains. We're saying to the enemy, I'm not having that. Even if we're going through a battle right now, we can say, I know there will be another side. It doesn't feel like it right now. Ever been through one of those? It's called the valley. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's what the psalm is about. You're going through that valley. It's dark. It's death. It's grief. It's loss. It's shame. It's fear. It's anxiety. But the only thing you don't want to do is sit down. Just keep going. Because there is the mountaintop again. But sometimes you can't see it because you're just lost in the gloom. All you can do is put one foot in front of the other. And the Lord knows that, which is why he says, I'll never leave you. I'll always be with you. I'll go with you through that valley. I don't know why I've got to go through the valley. No, you don't, but I do. Because he's a great parent. I don't want to go through the valley. I want to get paid nice things when I do the right stuff. Yes, I know you do, but you're not supposed to be paid. It's about being my servant. It's about being my body. It's about making known the mystery. And I will show you how that happens. It seems impossible for you to understand that right now, but I will show you. But you are not capable of understanding it right now because you're only three. In the picture of eternity. When it says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Because we live in an age of reason and science, sometimes we almost rationalise away what that really means. We don't like the idea that sometimes it's just faith. Sometimes you just have to trust from the knowledge that you have, which ironically is like science. Because they have different facts and they'll draw up a hypothesis. So they have faith that their hypothesis is correct and they'll test it. You can do exactly the same with faith, actually. You can trust God and you can test it in the sense of, I'm going to live like that and see what God does. But you won't actually fully know the answers to that experiment until you're with God. You won't understand everything now. I don't understand suffering. But I know that suffering is in here. And we've weakened the church by trying to remove it with reason and saying that everybody, you know, pray for somebody to be healed, they must get healed. Well, sometimes it takes time and sometimes you don't seem to see it. All I know is I'm going to keep going because I know what this has given me. You know, if I go to a hospital and they tell me, um, yes, we can help you, uh, but the medicine you need to take is going to take nine months. You won't see much effect to begin with. You don't say, well, I'm not taking that then. I want something now. But there isn't anything now. It won't work. 
your body's got to heal, aided by this medicine. I don't want that. I want, that. I want it now. Sometimes healing in God is also like that, particularly with healing in the mind. There has to be a walk with God and a changing. It's not that God's not healing you, it's just he's healing you properly. Instant heals is just like giving the kid chocolate bars every time. It won't enable us to grow, we won't be adults. It sounds harsh, but it's not harsh, it's because we're little and there's an eternity to come, when all this will be put behind us. So finally, and this is where I finish, um, we make this known, and he reminds them again, in him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Do you know the word freedom there is a really interesting one? Because it's not what we'd normally think of as freedom, it's we may approach God speaking frankly. I really like that. If you're going to pray, pray. But don't dress it up. If, if you feel right now you hate God, and you hate him because he wouldn't give you the smarties, then it's fine to tell him. It's not a great idea to stay in that place, but you can speak frankly before God. He's not going to get angry. He's not going to get cross. He just wants you to speak frankly with him. I speak frankly about the fact that I want to see a lot more people who know Jesus in this town. Why are we not seeing it, God? I don't understand. And he just says, you can't have the smarties right now. Speak frankly. It means speaking boldly before God. So it's not just about complaints. It is the other way around. And it is saying, I am praying for this to happen. I am coming before God boldly. It's about knowing that We are sat in heavenly places. It's about knowing that we've been made holy. It's about knowing that we are forgiven and accepted and one in Christ. It says with freedom and confidence. Because if you can go to God knowing that it doesn't matter what you say, he's not going to write you off. What confidence does that give you in prayer? You know, sometimes we have a, a microphone at the front, don't we? And for most people... To come here and start to pray over the microphone, why a lot of people don't want to do it is they don't want to say something that's wrong. And sometimes they think it's because I'll be cross with them, or somebody will be cross with them, or God will be cross with them because they prayed the wrong thing. What does God really think when you pray the wrong thing? What's going on in your head right now? Because that will give you a little insight into your relationship with God. He says, thank you for speaking out what was in your head. That's awesome. Keep going, child. I'll help you to get a little bit more theologically correct. But just go for it. The Holy Spirit doesn't get in a huff. A lot of people have this idea that if somebody prays the wrong thing, oh God, we need football boots for everybody in this town. The Holy Spirit's going to say, well, that's not from me. I'll come back next week. Bye. Ah. He's not, he doesn't get in a huff. <coughs> the only you know, the things that distress the Holy Spirit is a disunity and gossip and things like that. He doesn't like that. But children going for it, he loves. Children falling on their faces. Well, he doesn't like them falling on their faces, but he's just like, you had a go. It's like a child learning to ride a bicycle. 
and you're encouraging them and encouraging them, even knowing that they could possibly get hurt while you're encouraging them, you're still going to encourage them because you know it's going to be good for them. You can see the bigger picture. Maybe they can see the bigger picture. That's why they're doing it. Or maybe they've just got their eyes on you, so they're trusting you to help them through scraped knees. Sometimes we've just got to trust God through the scraped knees. And it finishes here. In freedom and confidence, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. I don't know how to preach on that. I don't still understand. I've read about it. I've prayed about it. And I don't have an answer for you. So go and get your own insight. Why is his sufferings their glory? Weird. I read it again. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings, which are your glory. I mean, the word discouraged means don't be good for nothing. Don't grow faint. Don't, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart because you see I'm suffering. I think that's a good message for the church. When we see one another going through stuff, don't lose heart. We, we, this is the world we're living in. That's why we're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's going to be unwarranted, unfair suffering, and it's not even going to be equally shared out. What God gives us is the promise that we can overcome. We can go past. We can live through. We can live in victory. There is another side. We're not going to be lost in that deep pit of despair forever. There is hope. We can step into that hope. There is healing. There is a way through. It may not have been the way through we wanted, but there is one. Just try not to lose sight that he loves you. But why, that's for, why his suffering at this point is for their glory, I haven't worked that one out yet. Let's keep praying about that one. And let's keep going to God with freedom and confidence. If all you take away today is that you can say anything you want to God, because you're his child, just go away with that one. You certainly don't need to get it all right. There's a great place for liturgy. There's a great place for written prayers. But there's also a place for just opening your heart out and talking to him. There's also a place to just sit, because you really haven't got anything left to say. That's a, that's a frankness in speech in itself. I just haven't got anything else to say. I just, it can be a really positive, you're amazing, I've got nothing to say. Or it can be, I feel so let down and hurt, I've got nothing to say. But you still frankly go into God. And he will take you through. He will take you through. He will take you through. But just be frank with God. He can take it. He's not going to get cross or upset. He knows your situation better than you do. And when you weep, he weeps. He's not some remote Allah. He wants to be in relationship in everything. So when you weep, he weeps. When you laugh, he laughs. He's with you every step of the way. He's with us every step of the way so that we can demonstrate this mystery that we are one in Christ together, one in Christ together and with God. For through Jesus we have access to the Father by one spirit. Have an absolutely fabulous week. I hope to see you next Saturday for madness and mayhem and fun and excitement. But uh, have a great week. Be blessed.
Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources by Kingdom Faith and for our other audio and video podcasts, please visit kingdomfaith.com forward slash Yorkshire.